Well, hello and welcome to the next week of our new sermon series on the icons of our faith. My name is Joel, one of the pastors here at Sanctus, and it's such a privilege to be sharing with you this morning. Pastor John called me up a few weeks ago and he asked me if I would preach this sermon on the cross. And when he asked me, he said, you know, Joel, you know, if you can't preach a sermon on the cross, we're probably going to have to have a different conversation. <laughs> the central icon of our faith. And I chuckled along and said, oh yeah, it'll be totally easy. Until I sat down to work on it and I realized, what do you even say about the most important historical event in all of human history? I mean, what do you say? What do you not say? It also seemed that every time I sat down to work on it, there was just a, a distraction here, a distraction there, some good, some bad. The Lord was teaching me something as I was preparing to teach you and teach us something this morning. And that is His power is always made perfect in our weakness. I want you to remember that. I bring that up because it's going to be a theme throughout our talk this morning. There's no doubt that the cross is the most iconic symbol, perhaps in the entire world, perhaps in all of human history. And there are all kinds of different types of cross symbols. It's probably the most recognizable symbol, and it, it even predates Christ. I didn't realize that until I sat down to study it, but it was discovered, the, the, the icon of the cross, discovered in ancient civilizations all over the world, ancient India, Syria, Persia, Europe, Egypt, as early as the late Stone Age, uh, maybe because of its striking simplicity, it meant different things in different cultures. But when Jesus came around, he redefined it forever. Now in Christian history there, the, the cross image takes many different forms. And it also represents slight different variations of the truth of Christ on the cross to different uh, cultures and in different aspects of Christianity. There's actually just way too many to mention. There's way too many to mention. Some have Jesus on them, some don't have Jesus on them, but they all have their own unique significance. What do you look at when you look at the cross? What do you see when you look at the cross? I think a lot of people have negative associations when they look at the cross. They may see the cross and think of injustice. I mean, just read Christian history. I took a couple courses on it at Tyndale. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a horror story. There are so much uh, injustice that has been done in the name of the church. Some people may look at the cross and associate it with just empty religion. The cross to some people has a bit of a PR problem, a lack of true understanding of it. Others, and maybe worse, just don't think anything of the cross when they look at it. I mean, honestly, I see the cross most often in jewelry and tattoos. And I wonder if the people wearing that cross really understand the deep significance it represents. What do you look at? What do you see when you look at the cross? I see three things, and I want to walk you through what I see as I read scripture and I look at the image of the cross. The first thing that I see in the cross is pain. Pain. Now, it may come as a surprise that the most central icon of the Christian faith, the Christian faith that we have hope in, is actually a symbol that represents pain, but it is. One scholar wrote that the suffering implied in crucifixion naturally made the cross a symbol of pain, distress, and, and burden-bearing. Now, we in the West, in the 21st century, we, we may want to skip past the painful part of the story. And we may want to say, well, the cross obviously represents the love of God. But first, we have to start with this. We don't skip past Good Friday on Easter weekend. We spend time thinking about the cross. And that applies to this conversation here as well. 
Now, now literally, the cross, not just a symbol, but a literal physical instrument that was used to kill Jesus. Listen to what John records in his gospel. He says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. There they crucified him. Four words that the scriptures don't go into detail about what they mean in terms of crucifixion. But we know through history what that entailed. This was a horrific method of physical torture. It was created likely by the Persians, adopted and used quite a bit by Alexander the Great, and then some say perfected by the Romans, which is a sick way to put it. It was Constantine who later abolished it, but this was something common before Jesus came around. Now, a quick warning if you have children in the room. I'm going to spare you all the details, but it's important for us to understand what it is that Jesus did when he died on the cross, what he endured. It would often start with torture prior to being crucified, usually intense flogging with a leather whip with chunks of bone and metal in it. Then the person would carry their cross on their own back that was just flogged to the site of crucifixion. They would be stripped naked. They would have their arms attached to the cross, usually actually by rope, but in some cases, such as Jesus, by nails. Once they were immobilized on the cross, they would be left alone, unable to move, unprotected from inclement weather, birds, insects. They would often be placed in a prominent place, so they would be subject to mockery and insults. It was the most extreme dishonor that one could experience. There was usually a small peg in the back that the person could rest on, but this would only prolong the suffering, prolong the inevitable. It would normally take 36 hours of agony before the relief of death. Now for Jesus, we know it took much less time. In fact, the scriptures say Pilate was actually surprised how little it took, but that was probably because of how intense his flogging was. If it took longer than that, their legs would be broken to speed it up, and eventually they would become so fatigued that they would suffocate and die. Why do I go through those gory details? By the way, I didn't share everything I learned. And, and, and as I read this and studied it, it I tell you, it, it literally it made me physically sick and uncomfortable. But it's important that we understand that the cross that we get tattooed on our arms or wear as jewelry casually is a symbol of torture. And it was the torture that our Savior, Jesus Christ, endured. The central icon of our Christian faith was an instrument of suffering. Let that sink in for a second. Now, for Jesus, the pain didn't stop there. Jesus died on a cross. And when he was dying on a cross, he endured much more than just physical pain. He suffered in every way. He suffered even spiritually on the cross. His, his pain on the cross was, was total. He suffered physically through the crucifixion we just detailed. He suffered spiritually because on the cross he was bearing the weight of the sin of the world. That is why he died on the cross, so that he could pay the penalty that we all in our sin rightfully deserved. But even further, he suffered emotionally on the cross. He was alone, completely alone. He had been abandoned by almost everyone he knew. Even just days, weeks before, where are they now? Abandoned Jesus on the tree. And especially in this culture, so so dishonored. 
We hear his emotional pain, the depths of it, when he cries out to the Father just before taking his last breath in Mark chapter 15 and says, My God, my God, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Jesus and the Father and the Spirit have loved each other since the beginning of creation, and now Jesus was being forsaken even by God. Why? Why? Is it because Jesus is good and God is bad? Jesus is the warm, fuzzy teddy bear that we love and God is the big, bad God? No, not at all. Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross so that we would never have to be. Jesus took our place and this was God's will that Christ was obedient to. His will was to save the world and save me and save you from our sin. And this leads us to the, the third aspect of pain in the cross and that's the Father's pain. Do you ever think about the Father's pain while Jesus is dying on the cross? My daughter Sophie is three and I just absolutely adore her. We have another one coming in just a couple of months. There's almost nothing I wouldn't do for her. I love her so much. I don't even want to go there in my mind, but imagine God the Father giving up His Son. Imagine the unthinkable, unfathomable anguish that he would have endured just by giving Jesus up for us. But he did it, and he did it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That he gave his son, that means gave up, gave over, surrendered. Like John said last week in our sermon about Abraham and Isaac, Isaac had raised the knife and then God stepped in and said, you don't have to kill your son. You don't have to sacrifice him. And what did John say? Why? Because Jesus was going to take that punishment. Jesus was going to take the knife. And on this day on Calvary, that was the day that that took place. God's son, his only son was sacrificed. And this was the plan all along. This was the only way. This is why Jesus came into the world. There's a beautiful painting by this man named William Holman Hunt called The Shadow of Death. You can see it right here. And it's such a beautiful and striking image. It portrays Jesus before his earthly ministry began while he was a carpenter. Looks like he just finished cutting a board, maybe planting some wood. And he's stretching his arms. And his mother Mary is sitting there. You can see that the gifts from the Magi are there, right there on her left hand. And she looks over and she just sees this shadow on the wall against a shelf of nails where it looks like Jesus is on the cross. And the point of this beautiful image is that the cross was present for Jesus' entire life. This is the reason why he came. It is the shadow of death that he lived. He knew that as he came into the world, he was coming to die. This was the Father's will for his life, to die on a cross for our sins. I mean, the pain was so real for Jesus that he actually asked God in the garden to somehow find another way. He asked God, would you let this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? And God said, no, you must go. And Jesus obeyed. He obeyed knowing what was coming. And he did that for us. And that leads us to the second thing that I see in the cross. That as I read scripture, I believe we should see in the cross. And it's for many of us a starting point, but it comes second in my opinion. In the cross, we see the great love of God. We see love 
Of course, we see love when we look at the cross. See, the purpose for the pain of the cross is the love of God. And if you don't hear anything else while you're listening to this, hear this. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you don't know Jesus yet, let me tell you a couple of things. He knows you. And He is pursuing you as He pursued me. He has a purpose for your life. And He has eternal life in the future for you. And He has life and life to the full right now for you. And He wants you to know it. He wants you to know Him. And He wants to make the cross count for you. If you do know Him, as I and many of us do, listen to what He says about you. Paul writes these words, Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In who? In Christ. Why? Because of the cross. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And in love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. And in Him, we have redemption through His blood spilled on the cross, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us. See, friends, we are accepted we are forgiven because of the cross. We are free from condemnation. We are God's children. We are loved because of our own worthiness? No, because of Christ, because of His perfection, and because His sacrifice for us on the cross. See, on the cross, we see the great love of God displayed for all the world to see in the person of Christ. Apologize to those who have heard this story before, but I must share it again. It was this church that I was invited to about 11 years ago when I was in university. And at that time, though I had grown up in the church, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't following the Lord. I was doing my own thing. I had walked away, and the truth of the cross had never really, truly sunk into me. And I came here. I was kind of dragged here, invited by a friend. I was sitting by myself here in Ajax, is what I mean. And the worship team played this song. It's called You Saw Me. And I was just standing there by myself. I had a bad attitude. I didn't really want to be there. And as they sang this song, it's like the hardness around my heart began to break away. And I started crying. And I didn't want to be crying. I wanted to look cool and look tough. But something was happening that I didn't quite know. And as they sang these words, let me share them with you. It says, you saw me when you took a crown of thorns. Your blood washed over me. You loved me. Through the nails that you bore, your love washes over me. Now, I can't speak to the exact theological accuracy that Jesus was thinking of Joel Penny when he was dying on the cross, but here is the point. I realized for the first time ever that Jesus really died on a cross, and it was painful for him. And it was my sin that put him there, and he did it for me. And because of the way I had been living my life, Jesus had to die for me. And I was living as if that never happened. And that wrecked me. What am I doing? He loves me so much that He would die for me on a cross. And look at how I'm living my life. How could I go on living the way that I was? I went home. I thought about it. I prayed. I talked to my, my dad about it. And my life's never been the same since. Because Jesus encountered me that day with the truth of the cross. See, that's what we should see 
All at the same time when we look at the cross, we should see the reality of our brokenness without him and the hope of what we can be with him. See, when we lose sight of our weakness, we forget the power of the cross. A view of the cross without an understanding of the reality of sin is hollow. And the cross without the love of God is crushing and incomplete. Tim Keller says the gospel is this. I've shared this before. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. And why is that true of us? Why are we accepted? Why do we have hope? Is because Jesus took our rightful place. John Stott, the famous theologian, he wrote a book called The Cross of Christ that you all should read. It's phenomenal. He said, moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted himself for us sinners. That is the heart of the cross of Christ. And that brings us to the third thing that I see when I look at the cross. I see power. Not worldly, earthly, political power. power the power of God. And that also may be strange, considering how much pain and suffering and weakness there is demonstrated on the cross. But that, my friends, is how God works. His power is always made perfect in weakness. We know where the weakness is in the cross. Christ was crucified. He was tortured brutally. But where's the power? Where's the power in the cross? As we look at a man dying, bleeding out on a tree, where, where's the power in that? Another way to put it is what was achieved by the cross. What was the point of it? First, through the cross of Christ, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. Now, to redeem, as we know, many of us means to buy back. And though God created us, we know that we became slaves to sin. This is the whole story outlined over and over again in the Old Testament, in, in history of the world, in, in our own lives. We are captive to sin apart from Christ. And on the cross, the blood of Christ literally paid for our ransom. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He said, God made him who had no sin, our perfect spotless sacrifice, the lamb that was slain for us, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now, because we are redeemed by Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. What that means is we are now righteous. And that's the next point. The, the second thing we see, the power of the cross, is that we are justified. Justification, again, this is, this is a legal term. It's the opposite of condemnation. Without Christ, we are all guilty. This is a, a, a word that the scriptures use in the analogy of a courtroom, a court of law. Without Christ, because of our sin, we are guilty on our, on our own. All have fallen short, Paul says to the Romans, of the glory of God, but in Christ we have been rescued at the high price of His blood from the captivity of sin and guilt. We are no longer under control of sin and guilt anymore because Jesus defeated them on the cross. And now, simply put, when God looks at you, Christian, if you know and walk with Jesus, He does not see your sin. He does not see your guilt or your mistakes. He sees Jesus, and He sees Jesus' perfection because the sinless blood of Jesus Christ is given for us. Now, we know this doesn't give us a license to sin. Pastor John's preached about that a hundred different times. When we sin, it's different as a condemned sinner. 
than a saint who sins. I read that this week and I thought that was great. When we do sin as Christians, because we do, we are still living in our fallen human flesh. We repent and confess and we fix our eyes on Jesus and we move forward because we are still living under the burden of this fallen world. But before God, our legal standing is that we are justified as Christ is justified in his perfection. The third element of the power of the cross is that we are now reconciled to God. Now, if justification is our legal standing before God, reconciliation is our personal relationship with God. And the great divide between humanity and God has been met in the person of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 5 that it's only when we have been justified by faith that we have peace with God. And on the cross, Jesus bridged that unbridgeable gap. If you think of the cross, you have a, a, a piece sticking this way and a piece sticking this way, a vertical and a horizontal line. And you imagine that being placed, as some of us learned in Sunday school, between this great valley, between two, uh, between two regions. And because Christ on the cross stands between the gap, we can now walk across. Paul says in Ephesians, But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ spilled on the cross, for he himself is our peace. And now because of Jesus, we are at peace with God, though we are fallen sinners. So in light of this, we see pain, we see love, we see power in the cross. What does the cross symbol truly mean? What does it represent? Well, of course, literally, it's the physical instrument by which Jesus, the Savior of the world, was put to death. We can't let that escape us when we wear it as jewelry. Remember the price that he paid. Figuratively, the reason that we celebrate this image is because it represents the mark of God's great redemptive act in human history. This is it, folks. This is it. This is his greatest act of love. It's a symbol of the subversive nature of God's kingdom. Power made perfect in the most ultimate moment of weakness. That God would come into the world as a child, as a baby, and grow up in backwater Nazareth and be a, a, a nobody carpenter. And three years later, after beginning his ministry, to die on a tree, I mean, it, it seems like he lost. But that's not how the kingdom works. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Ultimately, what does the cross mean? Well, we know the whole story. Ultimately, it's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of triumph. It is a symbol of the most intense power that the MCU could not even imagine. The cross did not defeat Jesus. He was killed on the cross and he died. And he was in the tomb for three days. But then Jesus rose again. And when he rose, he rose in victory. And when he rose, he rose in triumph over sin and death and darkness. And that is why we celebrate the cross. Because it's a reminder that though Good Friday was dark, Easter Sunday is brighter than you can believe. We have hope now, hope forevermore, security, love because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, though it cost him everything. I believe a true understanding of the cross changes absolutely everything. It did for me. Here are some ways that I believe a true understanding of the image, the symbol of the cross, how it changes everything. It changes how we see God. It changes how we see ourselves. And it changes how we see others. Let me explain. 
First of all, when you grasp the cross, you don't come to church the same way. I'm speaking of how this changes our view of God. You don't pray the same way anymore. You don't worship the same way. You don't spend your money the same way. We see that he is not distant as well from our pain and our suffering. When we look at the cross and we think of what Christ did for us, how does that inform our understanding of who God is? Is he a tyrant? Is he someone who's full of wrath and always ready to act on his anger like some may believe? Or is he the most loving and kind and caring God at all uh, of all, so much so that he would give up his own son to endure pain and suffering so that we could be saved? And there's power in this. Is that because we are very familiar with pain and suffering in our own lives. I couldn't possibly know every situation that you may be going through. But we are familiar with pain and suffering. And the, the, one of the most powerful things about the life of Christ and, and, and the cross itself is that God, through His Son Jesus, became familiar with pain and suffering. I mean, He was called a man of sorrows. And that's why we know, and the Scriptures teach us, that because He endured pain and suffering, and He didn't cave, because He has lived it when we live it, he can empathize with us, like really empathize. He has been through the darkest valley and he has come out. And now we get our power from him when we are in pain and suffering. The, Christ, the, the, the cross is the ultimate answer to all of our suffering. I mean, we, we may want our physical ailments to go away. We, we may want our, our current or future pain and suffering to not be here. We're wired for pain avoidance. That's part of our culture. And by the way, God is not a fan of pain either. There will be one day where there will be no more mourning or suffering or crying or pain. But now when we pray and we ask God to take this away from us and He doesn't, why? Is it because He's distant and detached, not paying attention? Most of all, He doesn't care? The Scriptures scream no to all of those questions. The Scriptures declare that God has answered our cry for help. And He has done it in the most big picture, meta, life-changing, eternity-altering way possible. He sent His Son to the cross to die for us. And, and we see His love in that, and we are compelled to worship Him. The cross changes. A right understanding of the cross changes our view of God. It also changes our view of ourselves. Because when you grasp the cross, and for some this is more of a struggle than others, but you begin to be able to forgive yourself because you know that God, the perfect one, the one who created you, He has already forgiven you. So you would be wrong to not forgive yourself. That may be a process. You may need to see a counselor, but you, you can begin to forgive yourself for your regret and even shame. When you see that God has forgiven you on the cross, you move from worthlessness to knowing your true worth. Don't you know, my friends? The scriptures say you were bought at a price. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ spilled on the cross. And, and that changes everything. We are not what the world says that we are. We are more. We are His. And we are loved. And thirdly, the cross changes the way that we see others. When we grasp the truth of the cross, not only are you be able to forgive yourself, but now you are able to forgive other people for, for wrongs. And injustices. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did was wrong. But again, how can we look at Christ on the cross forgiving me for what I did? Forgiving us for what we did? 
and, and, and be unwilling to extend that love and forgiveness to other people. It may take time. We know that. Forgiveness sometimes is a process. But as we look at Christ on the cross, it changes how we see other people and what they have, may have done to us. When you see the truth of the cross, you don't look down on others for the mistakes that they've made. I mean, you don't think you're better than them is the key there. You don't cancel people. You don't trash people on social media, whether you know them or not. You don't gossip about people. Now, we're not looking for perfection. (laughs) I'm not perfect. But again, like I said, when we sin as followers of Christ, we repent and we stop doing that. We turn from that way and we go the other way. We begin to love others as Christ loved us. That's the key. We forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. And the reconciliation that has gone vertical, we are now at peace with God. Guess what, folks? We now must be at peace with others as much as we can control. I want to leave you with a few closing thoughts as I prepare to close. Once again, let me emphasize, His power is made perfect in weakness. And in the Gospels, it says this verse five times. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's what Jesus asks of us. He's like a good leader in a good leadership course. He doesn't ask his followers to do anything that he hasn't first done himself. Jesus came down to the world in ultimate humility. And he knew, as the painting showed us, that the cross was waiting for him. And it would only matter if he lived a perfect life, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he did. And he went to the cross and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because God asked him to. Why did God ask him to? Because of love. Because of you. So that you wouldn't have to go to the cross. Which, of course, crosses don't exist anymore. Not in our part of the world. But the judgment that is due for our sin, somebody's got to pay for it. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting it ever happened. Someone pays for it. It's either me or it's Jesus. Thankfully, he died on a cross for me. Otherwise, I would be on the hook for my sin But Jesus paid for it for me. And what he says to me and what he says to you is that if you want to be my disciple, if you like what I'm doing and you want to follow me, then you must deny yourself. Now, what you want is not as important as what I want for you. And that would be bad if he was a tyrant, but he's not. He's good and he has what's best in store for us. And he says that you must be ready to take up your cross daily And follow me. What did Jesus do when he took up the cross? He took the way of weakness. He took the way of self-sacrifice. He took the way of love for other people. Other people who had insulted him and abused him and hurt him. He died for them. He forgave them. And he says to us, if you want to be my disciple, don't accept my forgiveness and be unwilling ever, well, to give it to other people. Don't accept my forgiveness and be unwilling to to change your life. God will change you as you walk with him. But he asks us to take up our cross daily, every day. It will require obedience and difficulty and hardship. He says, follow me though. Pick up your cross every day and follow me. And where is God leading us? If we choose to do this, where is he leading us? He's leading us to life. Not just in the future in heaven. Yes to that for all of eternity. But now. See, weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. 
Jesus said that I am the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What is that way? What is the way of Jesus? Jesus' way is the way of weakness. And that's what he asks of us this morning. So I ask you, as I close, we all must choose what we will do with the cross. Will we wear it as an empty piece of jewelry? Will we choose to see it as a symbol of injustice and sin? Will we think nothing of it, or will we see in the cross the pain that Jesus endured for us, the love that God and Christ and the Spirit showed for us, and the power of what has changed forever because of the cross? That leads me to worship and live my life differently. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the cross. That is our only response to worship you for what you have done. When we see this symbol, whether it's on a necklace across the gym on somebody else, or we see it in the news, or we see it here at the church or wherever we may see it, may we have a true understanding of what it represents, what it really means for us. What it means to us is that you love us and that you met us where we are at. You met us in our hopeless state and you gave us everything that we need. You gave us forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, justification. What did you give us? You gave us yourself. And we are eternally grateful, literally. Lord, would you continue to change our understanding of this? Would that translate to a changed life, a changed church? And Lord, would you fix our eyes as we bear our cross now, as we pick up our cross daily and follow you, may we be reminded that we are waiting for a crown in heaven. May you remind us that as we bear our cross, we wait for a crown, the crown that you won for us. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.